All right. Um, anything else on 15? You, if you seek the Lord, it'll work. Yeah. Very good. That's right. Yes. There is quite a bit of debate about that um, because, let me see, Rehoboam's wife was this gal. Um... Look at um, 11, 21. 11, 20, and 21. Rehoboam married Micah. Rehoboam was Asa's grandfather. So the question is, in 15, 16, does it mean mother or grandmother? It's kind of, it's a, I think it can mean grandmother. And it may be that he was really dealing with his own grandmother since that's the reference to Maka back with Rehoboam, unless there's two Makas. Sometimes they do. This is totally beside the point. But I know a man, this isn't really weird, whose mother's name and whose wife's name both are Harriet. Now what are the chances of that? I mean, those are the only two Harriets I think I know among women. And he married a wife, found a woman with the same name as his mother. No. It isn't. His name is Danny. So, I just thought that was... But I don't know if, uh, if Mom and Grandma had the same name. That's possible. Mm-hmm. There is some debate about uh, about that. Other comments, questions? Chapter 16 verses 1 to 6. We've got an issue here. Who is the king of Israel at this time? Basha. And what did he do? More or less. What did he do? Exactly. He fortifies Ramah 
possibly actually a city of Benjamin, I don't know, if not at least a border city. And he builds this big fortress with, an, with the intention of blockading the uh, highway so that the people from the northern kingdom can't defect down to the south. But to make a fortress on the border, Ramah was only about eight miles from Jerusalem. And so it's a threat to Judah's national security. <laughs> and Asa is concerned about this. And so what does he decide to do? Yes. Turn to Aram. Now, if you can get a picture of the map in your mind, you know, you've got Judah, you've got Israel. So Israel's down here fortifying a city on the border. And above Israel up here, you have Aram, or Syria, depending on your translation. Asa sends presents to Ben-Hadad of Aram, saying, break your treaty with Israel and invade. <laughs> Because he thinks if Ben-Hadad will invade from the north, it will force Basha to withdraw his troops to fight against Aram, and the threat against his country will be over. Do you see that idea? It's a tactically strategic move. That if, if you, you know, it's going to be hard for Basha to fight on two fronts. So if he can persuade Ben-Hadad to attack from the north, then Basha will have to withdraw the army from the southern border, uh, they're near Jerusalem. <clears throat> now, evidently it cost a good bit for this. Um, verse 2, Asa brought out silver and gold both from the palace and the temple to be able to, to pay this. Ben-Hadad's got a treaty with Israel, but he's trying to get Ben-Hadad to break it. And so I suppose he's going to have to bid higher than what Basha does. You know, to do that. Um, does Ben-Hadad agree to the treaty? Does he invade Israel? Does Basha have to withdraw his troops from uh, Ramah to face the threat? And therefore Asa was able to dismantle Ramah and build his own fortresses. So was this a good move? No? Well, yeah, but it worked good, didn't it? Now, do you see this as being out of character for Asa? Yeah. Why would you say that? He's not seeking the Lord. He's not trusting in God to take care of the problem. Would you have expected him to? Yeah. When? Yeah, when? Absolutely. Why doesn't he turn to God again? Now, there's something more to add to this. What had God said about making alliances and covenants with other nations? Don't. So he is trying to protect himself in flat-out disobedience to God's commands. It worked. Does disobedience sometimes work? Yes. Is it right? No. So that's the situation. Do you have a comment or question to this point?
bigger, I mean, that can still help that you know, kind of the thing. And then, you know, maybe when you saw a lot of It's a good observation. Against the Ethiopian, I don't know that there was a Ben-Hadad he could have called on that would have helped anything. But often when we think we can work things out on our own, we're more likely to do that than to turn to the Lord. When we feel totally overwhelmed, you know, we've got terminal cancer and three weeks to live, it would, you know, Lord, help me. But when... I've got high blood pressure and may be able to control it with diet and medication, I'll take care of it myself. You know, kind of that kind of a thing. You know, it, it's, it's tempting for us on any, anything that's not just totally impossible to imagine we can handle it. It's tempting to try to handle it, sometimes even to handle it in disobedience to specific commands God's given. Other thoughts? Seven to fourteen. At that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa king of Judah and said to him, "Because you have relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped out of your hands. Were not the Ethiopians and the Lubims an intense army with very many chariots and horsemen? After an immense. <laughs> yes, because you relied on the Lord, He delivered you from it, delivered them into your hands." For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, and he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. You have acted foolishly in this. Indeed, from now on you will surely have war. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in prison, for he was enraged at him for this. And Asa oppressed some, some of the people at the same time. And now the acts of Asa, from first to last, behold, are they written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel? And in the thirty-ninth year of, of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet. His disease was severe, yet even in his disease he did not seek the Lord, but with but, but the physician. So Asa slept with his father, having died in the forty-first year of his reign. And they buried him at his own tomb, which he had cut out for himself in the city of David. And they laid him in the resting place, which he had which he had filled with spices of various kinds, blended by the perfumer's art, and they made very great fire for him. So, who comes to rebuke Asa? Hanani, the prophet, and what does he tell him? If he had, what would have happened? Which is? Who? If you would have just trusted me, you'd have not only gotten Israel off your back, you'd have conquered Aram too. It looked like it worked really good, but you don't know how much better it would have worked if you'd have trusted in the Lord. You didn't do wisely in this. You didn't do the right thing. Uh, and therefore, the king of Aram has escaped out of your hand. When you relied on me before, didn't I come through for you? I, I, I'm always there for those who really trust me. <laughs> what? How did Asa respond to, the, to Hanani's rebuke? What does that say? Man, has it ever. How often do we get angry when a brother corrects us? 
How many times do we think, oh, he doesn't mean why to talk to me like that. Well, he doesn't know what I'm going through. Well, he's not perfect himself. Or whatever. And if we had the ability, we'd throw him in prison. It's, it really speaks poorly of Asa that he gets a very spiritual, wise, God-centered and God-sent rebuke and he throws the prophet who rebuked him in prison. And not just him, he pressed some other people. Asa's turned into a monster in the end of his reign. He was so good for two chapters. In this third chapter, he undoes everything and then some. And then what happens to him? He gets a foot disease that's severe. Maybe. And his name, the name Asa means he heals, meaning God heals. But what does Asa do with the foot disease? He relied on the physicians and didn't turn to the Lord. doesn't mean it's wrong to go to the doctor, but it does mean it's wrong to think that the doctor is the one that you need to rely on to heal you. In every situation, we see the Lord as the main actor. You know, it's not wrong to work for our daily bread, but it's wrong to think that our daily bread comes from the company. You know, it's the Lord that's providing. We turn to the Lord, we see Him as the source, then we do whatever God allows us to do in cooperating with him in the situation, but he's the one to receive the credit. So as Asa dies, they buried him in his own tomb that he'd made, where he's filled with spices of various kinds, blended by the perfumer's art. They made a very great fire for him. He really wanted to be buried in style, <laughs> and he was. Comments and questions? Although that is more with the northern kingdom, but yes. <clears throat> Anything else on Asa? I think it's probable, I didn't actually read this, but I think it's probable that the treatment of Asa is the fifth longest king in the book of, books of Chronicles. Um, at any rate, it's about 421, um, I know Greg and Tao will leave at five. I still think, from the looks of things, we'd be well off to take another five-minute break. I'd rather you all stay alert, even though we have to take a few more breaks, than uh, not. So why don't we take, let's try to make it a fairly short break and go upstairs to the bathroom. To six. Six. And Jehovah was lifted hard to that because he walked in the first ways of his father David and not and sought not unto the Satan, but sought to the God of his father and walked in his commandments and not, and not after the doings of Israel. 
Therefore Jehovah established the kingdom in his hand, and all Je Judah brought to Jehovah that tribute, and he had riches and honor and abundance. And his heart was lifted up in the ways of Jehovah. Furthermore, he took away the high priest, and he asked for him out of Judah. Okay. Josephat uh, is the fourth longest uh, amount of space in Chronicles given to a king after David, Solomon, Hezekiah, now Jehoshaphat. So there's a lot about Jehoshaphat here. Um, there's a lot about Judah in this chapter. That word is used a bunch of times in chapter 17. And uh, what would you say about Jehoshaphat? Good guy. He followed in verse 3 the example of his father David's earlier days. That's interesting. Why the example is Father David's earlier days? Yeah, exactly. The later days are the Bathsheba and Uriah and all that kind of stuff. So he's saying he, he followed after David's better times. There are not many kings that are compared favorably with David in Chronicles. Two others that are is 29.2, Hezekiah did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done, 29.2. And 34.2, Josiah did right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David and did not turn aside to his right or to the left. So those three kings, particularly Jehoshaphat, Hezekiah, and, and uh, Josiah, are presented in Kings as especially, or in Chronicles, as especially good models for us. Um, look at verse 3 and 4. He followed the example of his father David's earlier days, did not seek the Baals, sought the God of his fathers, followed his commandments. So he followed, did not seek, sought, followed, and uh, he, was, he was faithful to the Lord. And so God uh, blessed him, uh, gave him uh, strength, and uh, he uh, opposed idolatry, um, and... Um, was was a good good king. He took great pride. You don't want anybody to take great pride, do you? Except he took great pride in what? That's the right kind of pride. If you're going to take great pride in something, take great pride in the ways of the Lord. So uh, Joseph had in general was a good king. God was with him and God blessed him. Comments and questions? Um. Three and four uh, followed, seek, did not seek, sought, followed. This is off topic, but I was just thinking of uh, some of these guys were, you know, like living their lives. They, they never really, weren't they were soft, you know, they would actually get an, evaluate, an evaluation of their life. <laughs> It'd be interesting to have the Lord uh, write a chapter or two about each one of us, wouldn't it? Wonder what He would say. Good, good comment. Other thoughts? You can kind of uh, work through the names here, but seven to nine. Oh, no. <laughs> then, in the third year of his reign, he sent his officials, Ben Hale, Obadiah, Zechariah, Nathaniel, and Micaiah, to teach the cities of Judah. And with them, the Levites, Shemaniah, 
Nathaniah, Zebediah, Etahel, Shimaramoth, Yavanabanatha, Elijah, Abijah, and Tobadanajah, the Levites. With them, Elishama and Jehoram, the priests. And they taught in Judah, having the book of the law of the Lord with them. And they went throughout all the cities of Judah and taught among the people. Actually, that wasn't too bad. I'm impressed. Well, I'll make him our official name reader. Just every once in a while, his tongue starts flapping, but... Uh, <laughs> so, so what? Uh, what's he doing here? Precisely. That really speaks well, Joseph. He is being a good leader of the people in that he's sending five officials, eight Levites, and two priests to teach the people the law of the Lord, to help bring the people to an understanding of God based upon what he has written. That's one of the most fundamental reforms you could have. Some of them, they do away with the high places or with the idol, idol altars or whatever. He wants to teach the people. He wants to, to have the people understand who God is and what his will is. That's, I think, one of the reasons that Jehoshaphat gets such high marks in Chronicles. That's a really helpful thing. Now, the, the service of the Levites, and even to some extent of the priests, was primarily, or at least very largely, to teach. That is a part of the Levitical and priestly work that is often not well understood. We think of them in terms of sacrifices and temple service, but there are a ton of passages, well, a ton, there's several passages that show that the Levites and priests had a special mission to teach the people. Rather than trying to just give you a bunch, you might just be alert for that as you're studying through the Old Testament. And uh, you'll find... Uh, a dozen or two dozen or something like that that would, uh, that would tell you that. And this is one of them. Um, so he, he tries to um, further his reforms by getting some men to teach the people the book of the law of the Lord. I also like the stress on the written word. We are in a society that kind of uh, downplays the significance of the written word in favor of the felt word, or the experienced word, or something like that, which really isn't any word at all. It is in the written word that we have the clear and accurate communication of God's will. There is no substitute for the written law of the Lord that we have to look to to find out what God's will is. So I think that's a helpful section. Do you have a comment or question? All right, um, 10 to uh, 19. You can uh, do what you want to with uh, names. But Good. You were talking about the feeling, you know, not putting an emphasis on the written word. Uh, this is a real problem when you go to evangelism, when you go to teach people. Because people who have a feeling, you cannot relate with them. And they can't relate with you. And they are very difficult to teach. Because what they have experienced is personal to them. And many times they'll reject the written word over what they have felt. And it becomes very difficult. 
You're exactly right. You can't agree on a standard by which you're going to measure yourself. You, you, there is nothing. You, there isn't. There, there's there nothing. Is. You can't. There's, you just can't relate. There's no. I mean, I don't want to say that you can't teach them, because you can teach them, but they're very, very difficult. Uh, you've, they've got to come. I mean, the question I ask in that situation is, how do you know the feeling came from God? I won't question the feeling. They know what they felt. I have no idea what they felt. But how do you know that that feeling was God? And if they're unwilling to question that, I don't know how you can teach them. Some people are willing to evaluate that. You know, are you willing to um, subject your feeling that you think was from God to the written word that we know is from God? You know, that's, that's ultimately what has to be done if somebody's going to, to learn in that situation. And that is a problem, and the devil would like nothing better than to get us to make ourselves and our own feelings God. And that's 90%. That's a big thing. It's a big thing, although some people see the emptiness in it. You know, there's enough... There's enough ridiculous stuff that goes on in that that some people are, are, are perceptive enough and concerned enough about the will of God to start questioning it. Good comment. Other thoughts? All right. Uh, 10 to 19. And the fear of the Lord saw all the kingdoms of the land that were around Judah, so that they did not make war against Jehoshaphat. And some of the Philistines brought Jehoshaphat presents and silver tribute. And the uh, Arabians brought him flocks, 7,700 rams and 7,700 male goats. So Jehoshaphat became increasingly powerful in both of fortress and storage, and storage cities in Judah. He had much property in the cities of Judah, and the, and the men of war, mighty men of valor, were in Jerusalem. <coughs> These are their numbers, according to their father's houses of Judah, captains of thousands, uh, Adna, the captain, and with him 300,000 mighty men of valor. And the next to him was Jehohan, the captain, and with him 280,000. And the next to him was Amathiah, the son of the free, who willingly offered himself to the Lord, and with him 200,000 200, mighty men of valor. Of Benjamin, Elida, the mighty man of valor, and with him 200,000 men armed with bow and shield. And next to him was Jehozabad, and with him 180,000 <coughs> These served the king besides those the king put in the four or five cities throughout all the Okay. So, um, Jehoshaphat does well um, with other nations. They are fearful of him. The dread of the Lord is on them. So the Philistines bring tribute. The Arabians bring tribute. Jehoshaphat grows ever greater. He's got a large army. If you add these up, his army is exactly two times bigger than Asa's army was. And... Uh, Really, he's doing very well. The Lord is blessing him because he's seeking God. Comments and questions? Why did these people bring him, uh, bring him I guess they didn't want him to invade. They wanted to keep good relations. Maybe he has some dominion over some of those areas as well. I don't know. Through 
there's no reason to think that God would deal with us any differently than He has dealt with these men. We ought to see a pattern here, shouldn't we? So much better off to serve the Lord, to submit to Him, to obey Him. So much better. Good point. Very good point. Other comments? All right, chapter 18 is a, an involved event, one of the better-known incidents and one of the less encouraging incidents in Jehoshaphat's life. Chapter 18, verses 1 to 3. <coughs> Jehoshaphat had riches and honor and abundance, and he joined affinity with Ahab. And after certain years, he went down to Ahab to Samaria, and Ahab killed sheep and oxen for him in abundance for the people that were with him, and moved him to go up with him to Ramoth Gilead. And Ahab, king of Israel, said to Joseph, at king of Judah, Will you go with me to Ramoth Gilead? And he answered, I am as you are, and my people as your people, and we will be with you in the war. Okay. Um, here is Jehoshaphat's weakness. Even the best of God's people have weaknesses, and he, uh, his weakness was that he couldn't say no to Ahab and his family. He had done something really stupid in verse 1. What was that? He'd what? By? How, how did he make an alliance with Ahab by marriage? Does anybody know? Yes. Yes, Jehoshaphat's son Jehoram married Athaliah, Ahab and Jezebel's daughter. That was stupid. Now, that was smart politically. You know, now he's, you know, Israel's not going to invade him because they wouldn't want to invade the kingdom of their daughter. But, wow, he's such a good guy, but he, that was not good. And that just practically destroyed Judah when it's all said and done later on. You know, I don't care what the politics of it are, don't marry your son off to Ahab and Jezebel's daughter. Um, and he hobnobs with Ahab. He's down there for this big feast and celebration in verse 2. And uh, Ahab uh, twists his arm and say, will you go up with me against Ramoth Gilead? The Arameans were in control of Ramoth Gilead. Ramoth Gilead was a very important town um, in several ways, but especially because it controlled a major highway and trade route. And so the control of that city was a key issue, and it was fought over a lot between Israel and uh, uh, Aram. Remember, Gilead means it's on the right-hand side of the Jordan River. And uh, when... Ahab asked Jehoshaphat, will you go with me to fight against Ramoth Gilead? What was Jehoshaphat's answer? Which means? Sure. Jehoshaphat couldn't say no to Israelite king's request for whatever reason. That was not the wise thing. First of all, you don't want to be in battle with Ahab 
against anybody. And secondly, he said yes before he asked God. Now, he's concerned about finding out what God's will is. We'll see that in the next section. But he's already committed himself to go before he asks, what does God say? If you're going to ask what God says, ask it before you agree, not after. Is this Assyria or Assyria? This is Syria, Aram, not Assyria. Other questions and comments through three. Not to speak before we turn to the Lord and see what he wants. That's exactly right. Four to seven. Moreover, Josephat said to the king of Israel, Please inquire first of the word of the Lord. Then the king of Israel assembled the prophets, four hundred men, and said to him, Shall we go against Israel to battle, or shall I refrain? They said, Go up, for God will give into the hand of the Lord, into the hand of the king. But Joseph said, Is there not yet a prophet of the Lord here that we, might, that we may inquire of him? The king of Israel said to Joseph, There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. For he never prophesied good but always he is Micaiah, son of Imlah. But Joseph said, Let not he say... All right, Joseph had in verse 4, Please inquire first for the word of the Lord. Well, Arab's happy to oblige. What does he do? 400 yes. He has uh, his own prophets on the payroll, forms sort of a government department for him. And uh, you would assume these prophets say what? Whatever you want. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> what kind of sermon would you like? <laughs> And they get the hint. Um, Ahab would like to go against Ramoth Gilead, and so they say, <coughs> go up, for God will give it into the hand of the king. Um, but that doesn't really um, convince Jehoshaphat. He understands what's going on here. He says, no, is there not a, yet a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? You know, hearing from the court prophets did not impress Jehoshaphat. He's discerning enough to realize what's going on with this one. So he said, I really want a prophet of the Lord. What about finding one of those? Oh, well, what does Ahab say about that? There is one, but I hate him. <laughs> Why does he hate him? Oh, it's just bad things about me. Yeah, it's bad news, Micaiah. You know, he never says anything good about me. <laughs> well, wonder why he never said anything good about him. Yeah. <laughs> you know... Let's, let's judge a prophet on the basis of his accuracy and connection with the Lord, not on the basis of whether or not he says what you want to hear. That's exactly right. Are there friends you shy away from because they tell you what you need to hear, but it's not what you want to hear, and you don't like them anymore because of that, and you try to make sure they never get a chance to tell you what they're thinking? You know, there are people that help me because they tell me what I need to hear, and there are people who don't help me because they tell me what I want to hear. So I know who I can go to for an honest opinion. I know who I can go to to boost my ego. You probably do too. He doesn't like Micaiah. This means to me that you got 400 false prophets and might as well be a good nothing and all it takes is one true prophet. Isn't that about the odds we usually have? <laughs> 
You know, that's exactly right. And may I point out to you, we're not dealing with the pagan nations. This is Israel. You know, it's like, yeah, you'd know if they were, you know, talking to the Babylonians or the, you know, Greeks or something, but this is Israel. And still, the odds are heavily weighted against hearing from a real prophet. Other thoughts? Yes. You always go down from Jerusalem, yes, topographically. We are in flatland territory, but in Brazil, they do the very same thing. You come to this intersection and you go up or you go down based upon the elevation because everything's so hilly over there that you don't think in terms of north and south. You think in terms of are you going physically up or physically down? And I think that was true with Jerusalem. Also, Jerusalem was spiritually elevated. Time out? Oh, we got time out. <laughs>